T-S-N-Y. Back to it, right? Yes, sir. Back to it. Crazy times we're living in. Hi, folks. This is uh, Josh Benjamin and Lena Mean here on Yankees Mets Express. Uh, we've been gone for a couple of weeks, um, and that was on purpose. We were all set to record last week, but just with everything going on, it didn't feel appropriate. And all lives matter. I don't see color. Just cooperate, and you'll be fine. I'm guilty of saying every one of these harmful phrases. All I can do is apologize for ever using them and promise to be better. But even then, none of those words carry the same weight as three now etched deep into everyone's memory. I can't breathe. For too long, the sports world has sat by in silence as peaceful protests are met with harsh reactions from fans and unfortunately some players. George Floyd's death is just the latest in a long, bloodstained chapter of American history. It's far too many chapters, as well as that. With the help of our friends, brothers and sisters in the sporting community, we must all work together so that his death, and Breonna Taylor's, and Trayvon Martin's, and Amadou Diallo's will not be in vain. As well as too many others to count. As Colin Cowherd said in his show last week, Professional athletes not only have the right to protest and speak out on this subject, but they are right. We at Yankees Mets Express send our most heartfelt condolences to the Floyd family. We vow to use our platform as one of inclusion, of asking the hard questions, of understanding we're all in this together and no one man or woman can fight this battle alone. Black Lives Matter and always will in this program. Lean, I have to say it's been a very emotional couple of weeks uh in more ways than i could have ever imagined yeah i completely agree um it's it's tough and it's sad but it's important and um we have to be happy with what we're seeing that we're actually trying to make a difference and make a change because the status quo is not okay um i'm just i'm just really excited that we're finally at a place in history where saying black lives matter has become okay and has become the right thing to do I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so strange because I remember Eric Garner in 2014 mm-hmm. out on Staten Island. I remember that was, that was for me the start of when the Black Lives Matter movement truly began. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, there were so many questions to the story. Oh, well, he was selling Lucy cigarettes. And oh, the, uh, the video doesn't tell the whole story. And this time, though, six years later, we have eight minutes and 46 seconds of a man crying and begging for his life, crying out for his mother. And the officer, whose name I'm not even going to say, I'm not even going to give that man's name any oxygen, is just kneeling on his neck, looking around as if he's waiting for his Uber Eats to show up. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's absolutely disgusting. And I remember, because I'm a member of the Baha'i Faith, and down at my faith center, uh, we, we talk a lot about racial injustice and what can be done to combat it. Now, 
there are times when the conversation moves in circles and no real conclusions reach. But I remember back in January, we were talking about how white people can get involved. And I said, the way that white people can get involved is to rip off the damn Band-Aid and admit this is going to be a long, exhausting, uncomfortable conversation. This isn't going to be a conversation about sunshine, rainbows, and going out for drinks together. This is going to be a conversation about acknowledging 400 plus years of systematic oppression. This is about acknowledging the hurt, the harm, the trauma that has existed on multiple levels in the lives of, of people that I call brother and sister. And once we can acknowledge that, hey, having this conversation is going to suck, only then can we start making some progress. Yeah, look, like we're, people have been saying it a lot and it's the truth. We're not free until we're all free. And I don't care if- Freedom with asterisks. Yeah, and I, I don't care that people are talking about laws and what's right and what's wrong. Like there is nothing okay with what's happening. And as a country that prides itself on being free and being equal and all of that, like they, we can't just sit here and watch people literally be afraid to leave their homes to, and not even in Breonna Taylor's case, to just, you know, be scared of sleeping in your own home for fear of ending up dead. That's not, and you know, especially right. as a, I'm not black, but as a person of color, mm -hmm. I am, it's, this is something that's really important to me. And I'm really, as someone who's been like a part of the fight for several years, I'm really happy to see that things are changing. And I think in my eyes, the best part about all of this is that white people are realizing in the masses that there is a problem and that they are taking the initiative to do something about that because like nothing can happen if, if they don't. So it we're making progress. It brings me, because what really stood out to me uh, in the past couple of weeks was Ashton Kutcher's Instagram post, uh, which I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was one of the most powerful things that I've seen. Because Ash Ashton Kutcher, we, we like to make fun of him for Dude, Where's My Car, for that 70s right. show play and the ranch playing that sort of lo lovable doofus. But when you see Ashton Kutcher as himself, as who he actually is. Now granted, I don't agree with, Kat, with Ashton Kutcher on a lot of things. He's, he's a big guns guy because he's from Iowa. That's just part of how he grew up. And I'm not gonna take that away from him even though I disagree with it very much. But for him to go on Instagram and turn the camera on and just talk about how when he and his wife Mila Kunis read their children their bedtime story and how his son said, oh, why, why did my sister get to read first? Because in this house, girls go first. Yeah, but boys, but boys go first. And then Ashton says to him, yes, but for you and I, girls go first. Because for, for a lot of people, girls don't go first at all. And then he said, and here's what, what the important lesson is. All lives do matter, but for some people, black lives don't matter at all. And he almost broke down crying saying that. And for a big ripped white man to just turn the camera on and just bare his soul like that, even if it's only for two minutes,
Right. And even if it's largely symbolic on his end, the gesture should still be appreciated. Of course. Because yeah. white people have a lot to learn still mm -hmm. to this day. Of course. A hundred years will go by and there's still going to be so much to learn. Of course. And just to see these small steps, I've, I've been saying to my parents who grew up in the 60s, who protested Vietnam once they were old enough, I said to them, like, this, uh, let me know, like, does this feel different? And he goes, yeah, like, th this is what it feels like. Mm. And just so many people in the sports world, some putting their foot into their mouths like Drew Brees and just, and then, and then coming back with, about the best apology that could have been given under the circumstances right. to full-throated support for it, like we hear from LeBron James. Like, excuse me, like we, we saw from Aaron Boone on his Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as though we didn't have permission to talk about this before on such a wide, uh, versatile scale. Of course. And now all of a sudden everybody has something to say to it and not just something to say for the sake of of blowing wind up everyone's butt but just for the sake of actually contributing to the conversation for taking the conversation forward for ensuring that this conversation and black people as a whole have a seat at the table and, not, and a meaningful seat at the table for years and generations to come i i live in um a very very white town uh, you can call it upper class. And mm -hmm. um, I was literally talking to my friends when the protests began. And um, we, we got into a bit of an argument at first, but then, you know, I tried to explain it as best as I could about how everything that's happening needs to happen in order for all lives to matter. You know, black right. lives have to matter first. And mm -hmm. then we had a good talk. And at the end, I, I told them, the last people on planet earth I thought I would ever be discussing this with are people from my white suburban, you know, quote unquote, rich town. Right. It's, yeah. Like you said, it's crazy how everybody is a part of the conversation now and how like people are going on, like what we're doing now on podcasts and talk show hosts and mm -hmm. talking about something that was just, taboo just a few months ago you know it's i wouldn't necessarily say it was taboo but it was definitely it was definitely a conversation where like hey you might want to read the room before before bringing it up uh but now it's like no i mean no, it wouldn't have been a good look for like a talk show host to get up and say black lives matter you know they wouldn't it, it would it would have been controversial but now people are saying you know what right. screw controversy exactly. i don't care how many sponsors i lose this is too important Exactly. It's, it kind of reminds me of, um, obviously, every New Yorker knows who Billy Crystal is. Of course. Billy Crystal's uncle was a man named Milt Gabler, who was a very successful record producer in the 50s and 60s and eventually the 70s. Uh, and he made his name in jazz. Now, the Billy Holiday song, Strange Fruit, which is obviously a metaphor for lynching, she, was, she really wanted to sing it. No record label would do it. So... Milt Gabler, this, this nice Jewish boy from the Bronx, uh, listens to her sing this song in his office. And he says, Billy, we're going in the studio. This song is too important to, to not put out there. And it becomes her highest selling record. Mm -hmm. And I think now people are realizing it's time to, 
take the kid gloves off. We, it's time to have this uncomfortable conversation. It's yeah. time to make people like stop in their tracks. And if they don't want to be a part of it, great. We don't need them. Right. Like people have their, there's some people who have their opinions on this. They're not going to change. Don't like, good. Don't engage with them then. Yeah. It, like there, there's no gray area, either black lives matter or they don't. There's no in between. Yeah. Th look, this is something that's going to happen and needs to happen regardless of how people feel about the matter, the matter. If you right. want to be a racist, ignorant bigot, then go right ahead. But this is something that's going to change because it's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the clock has run out. Yeah. We're not, we're not putting this off anymore. Either either we're having this conversation or we're not. And guess what? One of those, is, one of those choices isn't really a choice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Now, in terms of the sports world response, Lean, particularly when it comes from came from baseball, responses ranged from very good, like the Tampa Bay Rays, mm. to flat-out pathetic, like the San Diego Padres. Now, the New York Yankees, I, I have a friend who was waiting for the team to say Black Lives Matter, and he's still a little sore at them for taking so long to flat out say it. Yeah. But they did put out a, a quote from uh, Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't remember the quote right off the top of my head, but I remember thinking, I said to him, look, you're saying that silence is compliance. And sure, is what the Yankees said perfect? No, of course it isn't. But would you have rather they said nothing? Right. Like, I, yeah. And, and meanwhile, the San Diego Padres, they put, out a, they put out a statement that wasn't even a statement. It was three sentences long, and they probably had an intern write it. Right. Like, I, honestly. I mean, look, I'll be honest. I'm with your friend about the whole Nelson Mandela thing when I saw that they tweeted that, especially because they had been silent. I didn't really like it. I was like, oh, this is easy. You just look up a quote from, you know, uh, a, a historical icon like Nelson Mandela and just post it. Right. But, it, it, it was the very, it was, it was a very easy solution. Yes. yes. But I did, even though they didn't explicitly say Black Lives Matter, I did like the statement that they made a few days later, a few days yeah. after that. That right. was well yeah. written. It was powerful. My only issue was that it just came a little late and that they didn't specifically say Black Lives Matter, but it was very well written, hit the nail on the head, and then they pledged to make some donations after that. So I think the Yankees overall right. did a pretty solid job. And, and from, what I, from what I've read in the great book, uh, Inside the Empire, uh, the true power behind the New York Yankees by Bob Clappish and Paul Solitaro. Mm -hmm. The Yankees as a whole are a very progressive organization. Yes. They're, they're not perfect. There's mm -hmm. still some things that they have to work on, but on the whole, they do a lot more uh, to help out in the community and to help right. their own players um, than most other teams do. One thing I learned from reading this book is that the Yankees, if a prospect either gets hurt or washes out of their system or both, they'll pay for them to go to school. Yeah. Um, Which is perfect. You'd hope that like a sports franchise like the New York Yankees would do that. Like you guys are, every organization should do that. So imagine something as big as the Yankees. They should definitely be taking care of their players and the community, of course. Yeah. And meanwhile, in a textbook, in a textbook example of how not to address what's going oh on. Oh my gosh. The new, I'm, I'm still <laughs> so you're laughing. I'm actually very upset about this. We're both very, very embarrassed because uh, James Dolan affects us both, unfortunately. And it's, 
Yeah, uh, reading, this is from the New York <laughs> Knicks Instagram right now. Every one of us has a role to play in creating a more just and equal society where there is no racism, bigotry, violence, or hate. We stand with all who act for positive change. And now compare that to what the Padres put out. Here, let me find the Padres Twitter. I'm opening that up right now. Let's see. All right, the Padres, on top of going back to the, the ketchup and mustard colors, uh, let's see what they did. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, James, well, I find it. James Dolan just. Look, I've, like, seen, I've seen dropping the ball lean, but oh my. No, this, this was next level, as if his reputation wasn't bad enough already. Like he. And the only reason, this is what kills me, the only reason, like, MSG, the Knicks, the Rangers released statements is because his emails got leaked. Like, how can you say we're not qualified to take a position on social issues? Like, it's, that's not... It's disgusting. Come on. It's, come on. Like, it is truly disgusting, disheartening. And, oh, and the, the Padres, in a, by comparison, the Padres stand in solidarity in with the black community in the fight against systemic racism, injustice, and oppression. Racism has no place here. We are San Diego. Together as one. Like, do, no, and what kills me even more is that sports teams in other countries are doing more than James Dolan. That, that, one, even, that one protest in Germany alone. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's absurd. Countries where it's not even as prominent of an issue are, ta are caring more about this than people like James Dolan. And it is... And this is what makes it even more infuriating. Basketball, for all intents and purposes, is a black man sport right now. Right. It is a majority African-American sport. All the white guys that are playing the sport, they can either shoot threes or play defense. And <laughs> for when your sport is comprised of let of its majority african-american you know that this is a movement that they are going to have a lot of feelings about you live in and your team is in new york city which has a very large african-american right. black and brown population and you can't even say black lives matter just as the sole sentence of the statement right shame on james dolan yeah. and the new york knicks organization as a whole i you know i I, okay, I, I'll rephrase. I'm sure there are some very good people who work for the New York Knicks. Right. I know some people who have worked for MSG Corp who have been unbelievable to me. And for James Dolan to just sit back and say nothing, like mm -hmm. even in just two sentences, he said so little by saying arguably so much. Right. It would have been better if he had said, if he had said nothing. It, it would have been better had the email stayed leaked. No, that's... I, yeah. I thought we fought the Donald Sterling battle already, Lane. I thought we were done with this. It, it's disgusting. And, like, obviously, like, you hit the nail on the head with the Knicks. Like, what makes it worse is that basketball, you know, there's so many black people that play. The majority of the league is black. The majority of the league was speaking out about the issue, including the white players. Uh, for me, what hurt... I'm not a Knicks fan, obviously, um, so I'm very embarrassed to be a Rangers fan at the moment. What hurt me was that we have a prospect. I'm sure you guys have at least heard the story. Uh, his name is Keandre Miller. He's yep. half black. Uh, he was basically a few months ago doing an online interview. Someone kind of hacked it and got in and started 
writing the n-word over and over again and the poor kid saw this and didn't know how to react and the rangers of course were extremely late to really you know criticize party. and yeah and react to what happened and that was literally other organizations and players reacted faster than the own than the rangers did which disgusted me and um and then you have the opportunity to make up for that when with all of these protests and everything that's happening and again you fail and it's just really bad optics for msg and james dolan and i don't i'm very very embarrassed to um to support a team that he owns at the moment i don't know about you it this is how i kind of reconcile it because i've had a theory for going on a year right now that James Dolan has wanted to sell the Knicks, has wanted to sell the Rangers for a very long time, but he's waiting for his father, Charles, to pass away before doing so. That, that's a very morbid theory to have because Charles Dolan, he's, I think, I think 92 right now, and he's, he's very old and he's retired for a reason. He's 93, yeah. 94, wow. 94 in October. And so I understand that it's not the best lens to look at things through, but the way that Dolan has conducted himself while chairman of the Knicks, his own shareholders are suing him because he's never there. Sorry for the burping. But he does not act like someone who is who's not, not so much proud to own a sports team, but who doesn't even, who even wants to own a sports team. Right. I mean, is, you see Mark Cuban. He's very, in, he's not yeah. just the owner, he's a fan. Yeah, James he's Dolan, involved. James Dolan, even though he owns the team, he's sitting at the game looking like he'd rather be anywhere else. Right. And, like, I, and I don't mean to, to make this like a hot take on James Dolan, but this, it, this was just really bad lately. Really, really bad. Really, really, really bad. Yes, there's no other way to put it. And we're not exaggerating at all. This, um, yeah, I don't think a single sports team in all of the major sports handled this worse. NASCAR, NASCAR handled it better than James Dolan. Like, yeah, with, come with on, ban no. banning the Confederate flag. <laughs> and, and in terms of the polar opposite of how to respond to something, let's turn to the New York Mets uh, and their star first baseman, Pete Alonzo. What a guy. Uh, Pete Alonzo, the polar bear himself, uh, he posted this on his Instagram story on May 31st. For the past couple of days, I've struggled to wrap my mind around what's happening, Alonzo wrote on Instagram. I have a voice and I will not remain silent. My heart has been broken over the murder of George Floyd. I will never know what it feels like to be discriminated against because of the color of my skin. To anyone who faces this type of discrimination, I will fight for you and be an ally. I will always stand with you. There needs to be justice and change made for the better of humanity. Let words be our sword and unity be our armor. Take care of each other. Now, now on another post he had, someone uh, on, the yeah. his, on his Blackout Tuesday post, uh, someone commented, all lives matter, to which he responded, get out of here with that ignorance. Of course, everybody's life matters, but we're focusing on the widespread racism in our country right now. The question is, why does the Black Lives Matter movement bother you enough to have they have to say all lives matter. So he, so Pete Alonzo putting his money where his mouth is, and then also adds to somebody else, 
I've done a lot to thank our, our frontline workers and first responders and have never promoted violence. It's an amazing concept that you can be against the systematic racism in our country and fight for something to change as well as see the good in people and see what our first responders that have all served in best interest of hard to for our community. So, Pete Alonzo is like, I don't think I've seen as likable an athlete as him. And he is fun to watch as a player, but what he does off the field too is incredible. He is, he is, he is the epitome of a class act. He really is. And um, I don't know. I, I was, I was really uh, emotional when I read his statement and I, I loved the words that he had to say and he's a great guy and it's important yeah. that people like him, you know, I think that he's already becoming one of the faces of baseball, and it's very important that yeah. people like him use their platform to make statements like that. Yeah, he and Aaron Judge are kind of like the yin and yang of New York sports. Yes, where in, where in that they're they're both they're both very fun to watch, have lots of charisma, but Aaron Judge, uh, who is a black man, mm -hmm. isn't going to really speak out on the same level as Pete Alonso, which is which that's fine. Aaron Judge is clearly a more introverted guy than right. than, uh, than Alonso is. Even though Judge himself, actually, I had that, um, like, saved in the back of my mind. Judge had, like, good responses, too, when he showed, uh, put a picture of himself on Instagram about, like, being proud to be a black man. So, mm -hmm. you know, th they're both addressing the situation, but in different ways. Like you said, they have different personalities, and there's yeah. nothing really wrong with that. But and it's nice to see a guy like Alonso do what he did. And you can also make the argument that because of Aaron Judge's personal experience, it's all the more important that he does speak out. Because right. even though even though he is a black man, he was adopted by white parents, right. grew up grew up privileged-ish in right. uh, in Central California. And he doesn't even like a lot of people were surprised when they first found this out about him. Like he doesn't really look super black. He doesn't look like you know what people would consider like your regular like black guy. You know. So. Yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, but even still, like, if I if I didn't know who Aaron Judge was, if I wasn't as, as big a baseball fan as I am, mm -hmm. which is even weird to think about, right. if if I'm if I'm walking down the street going to get a slice of pizza and I just walk by Aaron Judge, I'm just gonna go, oh, that's not a white guy, that's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but but you're but you're right in that he doesn't he does not look black, but it's like I said, just because he has had such a different experience, of course, it is important that he speak out for sure. Um, and where was I? Um, we, we kind of got, we kind of, yeah, so there was Pete Alonzo. Oh God, I'm getting old. I'm, for, I'm forgetting there, where we were. No, no, there are, we were just talking about like oh, athletes, oh, I, you know. I, I remember. Yes, I remember. Oh, yeah. So yeah, because it kind of makes me think of uh, what I watched this morning. So one thing, uh, what I put on in the background during my morning coffee today, I turned on Dave Chappelle's uh, special that just dropped on YouTube yesterday, 8.46. And... This is a message to all the listeners. I understand that there are some people who really don't like Dave Chappelle for reasons that are their own. They, and all I'm I actually saying, don't like him. And I'm here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that's very valid. Just it's 27 minutes. Just listen. Mm. He, it's a comedy special that isn't really a comedy special. It was filmed exactly a week ago because we're filming this on Saturday, June 13th. This was filmed last Saturday in the town where he lives in Ohio. Hmm. And like the, the, the film opens with people driving up. They're taking people's temperatures. They've got, they've got seating marked off with distancing. It's literally, he put up a stage 
in a field and performed in front of, let's say, 100 people. And he talks about his personal experience. And he calls out Don Lemon for saying, like, oh, celebrities should speak up. And then Chappelle makes the point, the streets are doing all the talking for us right now. Mm-hmm. And so for someone as polarizing as Chappelle, just come out, bear his soul, and really give us a window into his personal life more than he ever has before. Yeah. Because he, he tells some incredible personal stories. Uh, the one that I'll say, I'm not going to give away too much, but he, he mentions 846 where he goes, eight minutes, 46 seconds. I was born at 8.46 a.m. And, and he goes, Kobe Bryant, his numbers are 8 and 24. My birthday is August 24. Yeah. And so just how these things that don't, have, don't seem to have much to do with your own individual life and will make an impact on you in just the smallest way and really force you to have a conversation with yourself. I think that if people want an idea of how to be better, Dave Chappelle in these short 27 minutes provides a great blueprint for that. Now is definitely, especially for white people, now is definitely the time to listen rather than talk, um, especially to people who are directly uh, impacted by everything that's happening. Definitely like, my advice to the listeners read listen ask questions do your research um and just figure out how to be a better ally and make this country better for generations to come so that our kids will be better than us and so on and so forth this is all just also making me think of a show that i that i saw in college it was a one-man show performed by a, a theater professor at Hamilton College in upstate New York. Now this now this guy is a black man and he's and he's performing he's performing this show called A Hundred Questions You Always Wanted to Ask a Black Man but didn't because you were afraid he'd break off his foot in your ass. And and like the sh- and like the show starts with him coming on stage jumping rope like eeny meeny miny mo catch an n-word by the toe and then the entire then through over the course of about like an hour, 15 minutes, I want to say, he then um, goes throughout American history and talks about how, how, oh, like, even though someone's black, they try to, they might try to act white just because they feel, they, they feel it gives them an advantage, I think was the word, was the word yeah. he used. Uh, he talked about minstrel shows. He talked about how even when it comes to to how they look with, you know, hair, makeup, there's like a, there's like a certain standard that, that has to be met that, that, um, that white people don't. Right. It, it talks about this systemic racism that, does, that just doesn't exist when it comes to the economy, culture, and everything. It talks about how every day, any decision a black man makes is going to be put under a microscope. Right. Even if, even if it's what he ordered for lunch. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the way that he steps over a crack in the sidewalk. There are, if you are not a white man or woman in this country, and even if you are a white woman, this happens. Everything is scrutinized unnecessarily. And, yeah. and then at the end of the show, he opens it up for just a beautiful Q&A where people ask the hard questions. Like, like I, uh, I remember 
I remember one guy, um, one guy in the audience, he mentioned, he mentioned something about, oh, well, it's this, this black and this black, I forget who it was, it was a black actor who basically, who basically said, oh, like um, black youth today are giving black people a bad reputation. And people, and people said that was racist, even for a black guy to say. And the guys, and then this guy said like, those words needed to be said, sure. But like, but the word choice was terrible. He could have made his point so much better. And then that turned to a conversation about what was actually said, right. which like, I can't, I'm not going to bring that up because we don't have enough airtime, unfortunately. Yeah. But the point is, and then we'll put a bow on this, on this right now, because we've been talking about this for close to half an hour, which even still doesn't seem like nearly enough time. Of course it's not. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. This should be an uncomfortable conversation. You should panic about having this conversation. I'd say that you have to panic about having this conversation because only after you feel your absolute worst in having this conversation and confront the harsh realities of what Black Lives Matter is all about, only then can progress really be made. And there are going to be some people who are listening who disagree with that. I don't really care. These opinions are our own. Right. We have a platform. We should use it. We need to make this world one that works for everybody. Otherwise, all the work of the 60s was in vain. What was the March on Washington for? What was the Montgomery bus boycott for? Amen. Excuse me. Whew. All right, can we talk about sports now? Okay, great. Yes, we can talk let's about do it. Okay. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Always will on this show. All right. So moving on. Um, Lean, where are we when it comes to baseball season? Uh, there is going to be baseball, but it's not like – it doesn't look like we're going to like what they have to show. So first, um, you said there's going to be baseball. You're saying that so confidently because Rob Manfred said he's 100% sure baseball will be played in 2020 – because he has the right to implement a shorter season. You can unilaterally um, as, implement it. Yes, as long as players get their prorated salaries. But uh, we're still not there yet. We're still, people are still, different sides are offering different things. Um, most recently, the Players Association made a proposal including 89 games and full prorated salaries. This would start on July 10th and end on October 11th, including an expanded playoffs. There would be 16 teams total, eight in each league um, for this season as well as next season. And players who are considered high risk or live with high risk people can opt out while still being paid. Yesterday, uh, the MLB made an offer. They said 80% prorated salaries over 72 games, and the season would start on July 14th. 70% of the prorated salaries would be given to the players during the regular season and the rest in the playoffs. Um, I wanted to ask you, Josh, what do you do you think that Manfred is gonna end up implementing the shorter season, which would be about 48 games? Or do you think they're gonna be able to come to an agreement? At this point, if you were going to drive from your town, put a gun to my head, and ask me to give an answer on that, I would say yes, 100%. Uh, 
Manfred is going to unilaterally implement this shorter season to the detriment of the sport across the board. Now, at the same time, I understand that Major League Baseball has a lot to consider. Uh, they have teams that play in states that are experiencing spikes and new spikes in cases right now of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that nobody could have predicted. This is foreign territory for players and owners alike. But what sticks out to me is that the NBA and NHL, their union and mm-hmm. league offices, they very quickly got on the same page uh, in, terms of, in terms of resuming their seasons. And now it appears that the players' union and, and MLB – have agreed on everything except the number of games played because they're, right. they're, they're arguing over, over money. The owners are crying poverty when they're in no position to do so. They're not even disclosing full financial records. Now, on, now on top of that, I, uh, Bob Nightingale from USA Today, he's made a good point that a lot of where MLB is coming from is TV contracts. Mm-hmm. I've worked in TV uh, part-time for over a decade the the NFL contracts with Fox are ironclad. They're very profitable, and the network doesn't really have a lot of wiggle room to renegotiate if baseball is having its postseason in November. That I understand. However, we just had a we just learned this a couple hours ago. Uh, John Boy retweeted this, and this was first from Andrew Marchand. Um, there is a new billion-dollar deal between MLB and Turner Sports to continue broadcasting one of the league championship series and the playoffs. Okay. So there's more TV money coming in, but the problem is baseball is such a localized sport yeah. that ha- that having nationalized contracts, essentially, or th- no, that, that's not that's not the right word. Um, contracts that allow for multiple national yes. games per week is a little harder for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it seems that the owners, they're claiming, oh, well, now that there's no fans, we can renegotiate this as we see fit. No, I, I'm calling BS on that, mm-hmm. plain and simple. Because they're claiming, oh, we can't play deep in the fall because we're worried about a second wave. Anthony Fauci came out today and said that there's a possibility there might not even be a second wave. Yeah. So... And between leaking information to the press and fighting this battle in the media, they are crying poverty when they are in no position to be doing so. They have not proven so. And at the same time, I also kind of want the union to come to some sort of compromise so that more games can be played. Absolutely. It's a very hard uh, position to be in, not just as a journalist, but as a fan. Going back to the um, the amount of games, um, I think not. We obviously want more games because we're such big baseball fans, but also I think it's extremely necessary. You may have seen Dan Clark tweeted this. Um, he said that he made a good point that the Nationals through fifty games last year were nineteen and thirty one. They weren't even five hundred. You can't yeah. see what a really team, what a team really is over such a short span like that. Baseball is different than most sports. You, they need to be given as many games as possible. Fifty games really is not enough at all. Um, so I think that we we want it, but it's also necessary that more games are played. Now, now I'm not a lawyer, 
I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know if this is even a thing, but the current collective bargaining agreement expires in about 18 months. Yeah. December, not of this year, but of next, next year. year yep. So by the time the CBA expires, another knock on wood full baseball season will have been played. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that Tony Clark can't tell the union you know what, like either this is our position or we walk out. Right. Because I think, because one thing that is not being talked about nearly enough. Now, some people like Brian Hoke of MLB.com have mentioned this and are, and I don't think it's been talked about nearly enough. Nobody wins if there's no season. Nobody gets paid. What, like, if you could have, now, not every player can say this because some, some people are just still making the league minimum or, or on minor league contracts. Mm-hmm. So this is why a, a lockout probably isn't going to happen because it's like Tony Clark said when, he was, when uh, the Astros punishment came out and there was, there was no player suspension. He said, I'm the head of the union. Regardless of what one team or one select group of players did, I have to negotiate on behalf of everybody. Right, of course. And so – that said, the number of players in Major League Baseball who are making that league minimum and are on a 40-man roster, it's small compared to the guys who are making millions, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just me talking. If I was the head of the union, I would say to, say to the guys, this is going to suck. I hate myself for having to do this, but I am prepared to go over your guys' heads and and tell the owners that if they don't meet our demands, we're not going to play. End of discussion. Yeah. Now, legally, can they do that? I don't know. Maybe they can't. But, some, but one thing has to happen is that, and, I, and I've been saying this on, uh, in terms of the owners for a while, they're negotiating as though there isn't going to be a season. Yeah rather than coming to the common goal with the players association Absolutely. of finding baseball. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I was talking to ESNY's own James Kelly, and he was saying, no, no, they've had a number in mind from the get-go. They only want to break even, and they are going to force that to happen. Mm-hmm. And it looks like we are, we are on that as, as we speak. And it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I just, yeah, I, I'm praying that they come to some type of agreement because, I don't know, we miss baseball. And like we were just saying, 50 games, around 50 games is not enough. And anyway, even if uh, Manfred does end up implementing that, um, there are reports that the uh, Players Association won't agree to an expanded postseason and that they may even file a grievance. So that's just going to be super, super messy. Well, every, well, everything I've, I've heard implies that if the, the shorter season is implemented, it, there's not going to be extended playoffs. It's just going to mm-hmm. be business as usual. Yeah. But, what, but one thing I will say is that if the season, if the short 46 to 50 game season is indeed implemented, um, the owners will have lost all bargaining power. For sure. Absolutely. It's not good for them. It's not in their best yeah. interest, so they should just suck it up. And unfortunately, they control the purse strings, and they'll no. probably they'll probably control the narrative accordingly. It's it's disgusting. It is yeah. absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, but um, in other news, the draft happened this week. That was fun. 
It was pretty fun. More fun than I expected. I don't know about you. I mean, um, I, don't, I don't religiously watch the MLB draft. It's, it's not the NFL draft or the NBA draft where I, where I will watch everything from start to finish. That's like an event, yeah. Yeah, ML, MLB draft, I'm like, great. Who are the Yankees and Mets picking? Oh, this, oh, this guy's good too? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think actually, even though it hurts some players and there have been discussions about it, um, I actually kind of, it's better for viewers that this draft was an abridged version. It made it easier to follow, right. you know, like we know everything about all of the players that were taken by the Mets and Yankees and even some other teams as well. It was really, really easy to, to follow and, you know, go through as fans. Every, everything about that is absolutely correct. And yet it was still too long. It was still too long. <laughs> Why does a team need four minutes to do a draft pick? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, that's yeah. Like, that's I, I get that this was an abbreviated college season. You didn't, you didn't have as much tape to go off of. But you've been scouting some of these guys for a while, some right. for multiple years. You've got to have a pretty thick file on the guy. You don't need four minutes. Exactly. You don't need four minutes to do a draft pick. No, I, I completely I agree with you. I got stuff to do, man. I, I got MLB the show to play. Get off my TV. <laughs> I got Netflix to binge. Oh, no, you're right there. Um, what, what have you been binging on Netflix as of late, by the way? We, haven't, we, didn't, have that, we didn't have that conversation during our pre-production meeting. I always give you a very short version because I can't even tell you how many shows I watch. Um, I'm almost done with The Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Have you seen that? I saw season one. I haven't done season two yet. Season two hasn't come out yet. I'm behind. I just watched uh, episode nine last night. So yeah. I have one episode left. It's good. Umbrella Academy is very weird, but it's weird yeah. to the point where it's like, okay, this is super weird. It's making me very uncomfortable, but I want to watch it. I love, right. Ellen, I love Ellen Page. This is unlike anything I've seen before, and apparently the comics are a lot of fun too. Yeah, I kind of want to read those. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I'm currently, uh, I'm currently laboring my way through The Outsider. The Outsider. Uh, uh, that was on HBO. It's a Stephen King miniseries. This sounds familiar. Just... Jason Bateman directs it uh, from Ozark. No way. Yeah, and he's got a small part on the show. And uh, Ben Mendelsohn. It looks very familiar. I feel like I've heard of it. Is it good? Um, let's see. Oh, well, I, you I said you're laboring your way through it, so here, I guess Here's not. the thing. Here, here's the thing. It's, it's a very weird story. And over the first couple episodes, I didn't really understand what was going on. Okay. My friend who recommended it, he said, they get the pacing right in episode three. Uh, if you don't like it after three episodes, then, then uh, skip the rest. Right. Season three, they got the pacing right. They introduced a new character who I think is fantastic mm -hmm. and who apparently is Stephen King's favorite character in any of his books. And so it's very Stephen King is that it's a very dense and kind of slow plot yeah. show, but right. it's telling a very captivating story. Okay, that's cool. I might have to give that a shot. Yeah, there's, there's 10 episodes. Go for it. Yeah, why not? Anyway, um, anyway. Oh, oh yeah, I, let's... And, uh, and, yeah. My wife, and my wife and I are watching Shit's Creek, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't like comedy, but I've heard uh, great no, things about it. No, no, no. You would like Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek, it, I know you don't like comedy. Watch Shit's Creek. It's okay. very subtle. It's great. Okay, that's yeah. fair. I'll give it a shot. You owe me, though, if, um, if I don't like it. Deal. Back Deal. to the draft. All right. Who do we want to talk first, Yankees or Mets? Let's do Mets, just because okay. I have them first in my notes. Great. Okay. So the Mets, um, on the whole, had a pretty good draft, I'd say. The Mets had a fantastic draft, probably yeah. one of the best in the league, actually. 
they, they drafted very well last year too. So in the Brody Van Wagenen era, the Mets are looking really, really good at draft time. So yeah, very promising uh, future. Kyle Newman, uh, who is one of our main Mets guys and one of our editors is, and why I made a point of saying in, uh, in the Yankees chat, how Brody Van Wagenen isn't overly involved in the draft, but just because no, of course, but it's the optics, you know, like yeah, he's the it's, GM. It's, so yeah, he's, the, he's the, the GM, the buck stops with him. So these picks look good on him. Of course. Plain yeah. Reason. Definitely good for job security, even though I don't think he's going to be sticking around in the long run, but still. Absolutely not. Um, yes. but kicking, um, kicking us off, uh, the Mets first round pick, best baseball name in the draft, I'll say, <laughs> Pro Armstrong. That's Fantastic a baseball name. name. Yeah. A oh, quick fun fact about Pete Crow Armstrong, his mom is in the movie Big Little League. Ashley um, Crow, that's right, yeah. Yeah, this is, I can already tell this is going to be one of those things that gets really annoying and, like, really quickly. You know, like Todd Frazier, Matt Derek Jeter, Little League World Series, one of yep, those Tom stories. Yep, River, 1998. But, <laughs> yep, uh, but that was pretty cool, I thought. Um, anyway, Pete Crow Armstrong was uh, picked in 19th out of Harvard Westlake High School baseball factory over there. Jack Flaherty um, being one of them, yeah. Right. And uh, this is typical Mets. The Mets, more than most teams in the league, love drafting kids out of high school. And it works out for them for the most part. Um, he's a lefty center fielder. And uh, batting isn't exactly wow, but he is very fast and an incredible defender. Um, scouting reports actually say that when he makes it to the pros, he has the potential to be an elite defender. A super great arm yeah. too and with this pick uh for me usually in baseball you don't really do this but the Mets drafted by need with this pick because right. for their farm system they they have their worst position by far is the outfield they have no depth in the farm system whatsoever in that aspect right. and as soon as they picked him actually he immediately became their best outfield prospect so that was smart of the Mets. That was good. And like what you and I were talking about before, he has the, he, it looks like he's going to be Brett Gardner. So Yeah, he's kind of got the whole like Brett Gardner, maybe like um, a, a better Billy McKinney thing going on. Yeah. One thing that's important to, to note with the Mets and how they've been drafting, they're not just drafting for needs. They're drafting to rebuild their farm system as a whole. Of course, of up. course. Yep. And Pete Crow Armstrong, he's got cornerstone potential. Um, I'm curious to see how his bat's going to translate to City Field because I don't, they can't move the fences in any more than they have. I mean, look, Pete Crow Armstrong already has basically zero power. Like, there's no power there at all. So I don't think, even if he works on it, I don't think he's going to be a power hitter. Like you said, City Field, very, very difficult to hit there. But um, I yeah. do. There, there's room for improvement, like average-wise, you know. He's fast enough that all he has to do is become like a moderate gap hitter, and yes. he, and, and he can be someone who hits, you know, between two ninety and three thirty. Has like between like twenty five and thirty doubles on the year. Right. Maybe the Mets will let him. Will let him uh, uh, use his legs and steal some bases. Um, Absolutely. And and if he can keep his legs healthy and just master the the deep and wide plane that is City Field's center field, mm -hmm. then I think that the Mets have a very exciting prospect on their hands. Absolutely, for sure. And you know, even I was uh, talking about this with some people who are Mets fans. Um, they were saying that 
you know, Brett Gardner isn't exactly the most wow guy, especially with his bat, but they were like, imagine if we had had Brett Gardner in our outfield for the past 10 years, how much better off we would have been. That's a great point. Uh, Crow Armstrong has the potential of giving them uh, depth and good defense, which is something they have a problem with. So he brings a lot to the table. Definitely someone to watch over the next one to two years. Yes. Yeah. And second round, who we got? Second round, we have J.T. Ginn, right-handed pitcher out of uh, Mississippi State. Uh, this... another, another baseball factory. You got Buck oh, yeah. Walter and Rafael Palmiro and many others coming out of there. Absolutely. Um, this is an absolute steal, probably one of the biggest steals in the entire draft by any team. Ginn was a um, – he, Baseball America had him as the seventh rate, highest rated right-handed pitcher in the draft, top talent. Problem was he uh, had Tommy John surgery, so fell a lot. The Mets decided to take a chance on him, and uh, they I think they made the right choice. I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. Um, like what you and I were talking about before, best pitches are his fastball and slider. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely room for growth, but – that's a steal. That's a really, really good pick. Absolute steal because some people had him being like a mid to late first round pick. Uh, yes. He fell because he has had, he did have Tommy John surgery this year, um, and that's what and that's why it's all the more important that he does evolve from being just a fastball slider guy. I saw that his fastball can touch about ninety five. Yeah. We don't know how much his Tommy John is going to affect his velocity. Of course. Because if he's if he gets Tommy John and all of a sudden he he's only hitting ninety three on the gun, he's and and then he's also going to lose some bite on the slider. Right. It, he's going to have to develop a two seamer. He's going to have to develop of maybe, course maybe a changeup or maybe um maybe a splitter. Not even a question. Uh, he's, um, al- he's also very skinny. He's six three yes. sub two hundred. We see that with Steven Matz right now, who has all the talent in the world, but just can't stay off the trainer's table. Right. Uh, I think that JT Ginn's development, he's, he either has to develop a third pitch or he's going to be a bullpen guy. And you hate to see a second-rounder guy, a, se- a second-rounder exactly. go into the bullpen, unless the plan is to make him a closer. Something I wanted to add about Ginn, this is more like kudos to the Mets. Um, this is the second year in a row that this happens. Last year, they were able to grab first-round talent Matthew Allen in the third round. So they are definitely awake. They are keeping their eyes open. And they're getting some really good pitchers by, you know, taking some chances in the late, in, you know, later rounds. So good for them. 100%. Um, next, okay. Next up, yeah. it's a uh, – uh, center fielder, I believe, yes. Isaiah Green. Mm-hmm. And they, the, by the way, sorry, Josh, to interrupt. They, the Mets took, uh, got this pick in the compensation round. Um, they got this pick because Zach Wheeler left during Right, this is a pick from the Phillies. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Okay, continue. Uh, high school prospects are tricky, especially uh, once you start drafting them in the later rounds. Of course. Because these are. These are talents who are not necessarily sure things. These are ones, oh, like, you could take them out of high school, but maybe they should go to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could take them out of high school, but uh, they're not going to develop as well if they don't get some college ball. Now, the main thing with Isaiah Green, he's a speedy and good defensive center fielder. Mm-hmm. Even with baseball moving away from stolen bases and the Billy Hamilton types, there's always right. a market for these people because it's good to have that kind of depth. Of course, especially uh, come playoffs. Yes. Um, so 
I can't, I wasn't able to find much tape on Isaiah Green, but it seems that like Pete Crow Armstrong, he has to just improve his hitting. Yeah. Um, he's a lefty too. Um, mm. They, he's, I've, I read this in a bunch of scouting reports on him. They're saying that he has the potential to be a five tool prospect, but like you said, he, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of hitting. Um, and his biggest standout quality by far is his speed. He's actually one of the fastest players in the entire draft class, which is good, I guess. Um, but they say that he has a lot of potential and he has actually drawn comparisons to Michael Brantley. So if he ends up being Michael Brantley, that's, that's really, really good. That is good really, that is really good. Cause Michael Brantley, his, his injury issues aside when he's healthy is a very, very good, player. very good. Yeah. Very good player. Yes. Um, and with Green, it, it's like I said, the bat has to show up. Of course. Because, um, because don't get me wrong, 20 years ago, he would have been drafted. They would have said, oh, okay, we'll make him a leadoff man. He'll hit singles and steal bases. It'll be fine uh, as long as he can also draw walks. But the analytics guys now say, no, stealing bases, that's pretty much giving away an out. Mm-hmm. You could do it, but that's the, just look at it from that lens. You are potentially giving away an out. Yeah. And baseball players today will say the same thing. Right. It's like, don't worry about, I, I forget who it was. Someone said, don't worry about giving up runs, worry about giving up outs. Mm-hmm. And as long as, I, as long as Isaiah Green can, uh, can develop his, his work at the plate enough to the point where he isn't just getting to first base and then risking uh, giving away an right. out. Right, right. Um, but the good news is he's young, he has options. Uh, yes. hopefully he makes the decision that he and his family feel is best for him as opposed to just being tempted by the idea of playing for the New York Mets. Of course, for sure. Yep. And, and, and it's so weird because we've gone over the first three Mets picks and their fourth one, Anthony Walters, a utility infielder at San Diego State. I said to you before we went on the air, Lean, <laughs> this is the most Mets pick I can think of. I mean, he's... Coming off of a – he's a year removed from a torn ACL. Yeah. Strikes out way too much. Doesn't yeah. have much of a bat. Yeah, no power. Know. Yeah. It, it's like the Mets didn't learn the Gavin Shikini lesson. They Also, they... yeah. He's also uh, not a particularly good defender. It's not like one thing makes up for the other. He's apparently decent at second base but um, not really good anywhere else in the infield. And he's been tried in the outfield, apparently not a good arm. So he'll probably be an awful defender in the outfield. This was definitely, I think, for the Mets, in my opinion, I don't know about you, the biggest question mark pick that they, that they you know, uh, made. But I don't know. This is just something to laugh about as Yankees fans. So Yeah. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> as I was saying, um, um yeah who's, who's next next up Ma- we have Matthew, Matthew Dyer. Dyer yep this is a very very interesting pick Jonathan Mayo uh noted he might be a super utility guy I buy yeah. it mm-hmm. uh he's a big boy six foot four you and I were talking the guy's mechanics are an absolute mess yeah like my, my desk <laughs> is a mess and it's cleaner than than uh than Matthew Dyer's hitting mechanics very very weird swing um he's actually fun fact he is the backup catcher of the Yankees first round pick who we'll get to later Austin Wells Matthew Dyer is his backup 
Um, like you said, super utility player. He's played a lot of first base, second base, third base, left field, and right field. Um, scouts were saying that you and I were talking about this before. He has a good arm, but there's kind of a question mark on his ability to play catcher full-time because he plays so often and so much at other positions. Uh, his framing is not great. Receiving ability is not great. So it won't be a surprise at all if he ends up moving to another position if the Mets think that that is what's best for him. Um, he's also deceptively fast for his size, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. He's 6'4", 185 pounds, yeah. but he's very, very fast. So He's 6'4", no 185, and, and he's like – Dax Shepard talks about this thing called tall white guy syndrome where, his, where he's like, you look at – like I could be – he could be completely naked and you could just see his back would just turn into legs. <laughs> that, is, that is Matthew Dyer. He, is a, he has tall white guy – yeah, he's – very tall, 6'4", 185. He's going to have to put on at least 20 pounds right. regardless of his position. Yeah, yeah, he is way too skinny. I get that he's fast, yeah. but, yeah, he's way too skinny. Um, yeah, so sure. uh, it's going to be like when Aaron Boone called DJ LeMahieu instead of spring training last year and said, hey, bring multiple gloves with you. Right. That's exactly. going to be the case with Matthew Dyer. Exactly. And last but not least, my favorite of the Mets picks, <laughs> Eric Orzi from the University of New Orleans, which we didn't even know existed. <laughs> Yeah, I want, I want to fly out of New Orleans, just take a selfie in front of the campus, just to say it exists. Just like proof, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, fun fact about Orzi, uh, he is a two-time cancer survivor. I saw that. He is a warrior, that. man. He, yeah. Good for him. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, great value pick. He's got he's got velocity that it's as low as ninety one, can sometimes touch ninety seven. Yep. He's got a fastball, slider, a splitter, which I think is unbelievable. Uh, it's just a matter, really, of what kind of uh, pitcher is he going to be. Will he be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? Will, right. they, will the Mets make him like a Chad Green type? He actually also has um, a decent cutter, even obviously not as strong as his fastball splitter or slider, but it is decent. And I don't know, he, he has multiple pitches in his arsenal. And like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see how the organization decides to uh, decides to use him. I think he has potential to be either or, you know, starter or. Yeah, relief. yeah. I mean, I mean, the good news for Orzi is that because as a late round pick, there's pressure to succeed in the organization, but there isn't so much pressure to kind of or to like sort of like pigeonhole himself into one particular role. Exactly. Yeah. So I so it's one of those cases where the Mets will bring him to camp. They'll see what right. he has to offer. <clears throat> Worst case scenario, they tell him thanks, but no thanks. And there's probably going to be at least one other team that that is willing to give him a chance for you know? sure yeah and and if not then maybe he can go to japan he can go to korea he's got he has options there's there's at least yeah there's at least one team out there that will that will take a flyer on him it just might not necessarily be a major league baseball team yeah of course but no i i, I think he's gonna wherever he ends up playing i think he's gonna have some type of good future so you know there's yeah. a lot of potential with him um, right. that's now, it for the Mets. Yeah. Now let's, let's go to the, uh, let's go to the Yankees picks because we've, uh, we've got some, uh, conflicting opinions here. <laughs> All right. So uh, overall, I mean, I don't think either of us can deny it, but again, it's not really the Yankees fault. Yankees didn't have a great draft. Um, they lost their second and fifth round picks, uh, because they signed Garrett Cole. That, 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 so, okay. Hold on. Hold on. That doesn't mean they didn't have a great draft. 
they had less picks. It doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't a great draft. I mean, it was, and it was still a good draft. Find me one person who said the Yankees didn't get, who didn't give the Yankees at least a C grade on their draft. Literally find me one person. I, oh God. I, I wish I had, I wish I still had the tab open. I had, I had someone who graded Austin Wells as a B plus Trevor Hover is a B minus and Beckway, I think, was somewhere between a B and a C plus. I'll have to go digging for that. Listen, like, again, it's not necessarily their fault, but, like, it's not good that they missed out on two whole draft picks. You know, they did work. They did do the most with what they had, but it would have been better if they had more picks. So you're saying – so you're going to send Garrett Cole back to the Astros then? Just to get Absol- that draft pick Absolutely back? not. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying other teams had more of an advantage because they had more to work with. The Yankees, unfortunately for us, did not. And again, also, I don't agree with some of their picks, as you know. But All right. Okay, well, let's, let's get to that. Yeah, we'll argue about yeah, this so in a second. Since we don't agree with, since you didn't agree with some of their picks, let's start with one who you weren't particularly a fan of. Their first round pick, Austin Wells, the <sighs> lefty swing catcher who is an Arizona Wildcat. And from another baseball factory, Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, Nevada. Look, like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like most people don't agree with me on this. There's no denying that Austin Wells is a great hitter and is great at getting on base. He does, I, I wrote about this in a feature yesterday, like a true Yankee, he has a bit of a strikeout problem, but mm-hmm. he gets on base and is an excellent power hitter. Power's already there. He doesn't need to develop that. But I don't like that the Yankees are stockpiling catchers. They've been doing this for a few years. I don't like it. He is a below-average defensive catcher. Um, And, okay, there's a very, very good chance that the Yankees end up uh, changing his position. He does have experience at first base and in the outfield, after all. But... I don't know. I just feel like we could have gotten someone better there. And I just, I didn't like that we took a catcher, especially one who is not good behind the plate. I definitely hear that, um, especially when it comes to the Yankees uh, stockpiling catchers, because they have El Croc and Gary Sanchez right now. Uh, and they also have Kyle Higashioka and they have uh, Anthony Siegler, the switch hitting okay. and throwing yeah. catcher and pitcher. And now they've drafted Austin Wells. That said, I think that given where what the Yankees' position was in the draft, and and I say this about teams who pick late in the first round of, uh, in all sports, unless when you're if you are a late first round team and your turn comes around, unless you have a gaping specific need, always draft the best player available. Mm. Now Austin Wells at well, what was it number twenty eight? Yeah, twenty eight. Yeah, twenty eight. There, there was JT Ginn still available. Mm-hmm. There, there was uh, a bunch of other players still available. Austin Wells, I think, makes sense for the Yankees for a couple of reasons. First is, is money. The way that the roster is currently set up, you have Glaber Torres. You have um, Gio Urshela, Miguel Andujar, all these guys who are currently playing under team-controlled contracts. Mm-hmm. And one day they're going to have to pay the piper and someone like Torres is going to need an extension. Judge still needs an extension. Right. Uh, And then there's Gary Sanchez who, when he's healthy, he's very good, 
but he has issues staying healthy, and there always seems to be that one month in this, of the season where his bat just falls asleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he was, uh, you remember last year, he was making good contact with the ball and then strained his calf. Yeah. He was on the verge of another breakout and got hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I think that between taking Seagor and taking Austin Wells, the Yankees are kind of letting Gary Sanchez know, hey, like, the clock's running out. Like, you, you've only got so long before free agency. Give us a reason to consider extending you. Yeah. In which case, in which case, because of Wells' versatility and Siegler's as well, those then become trade chips for greater needs. Because yeah. if if Gary Sanchez over the next two years doesn't get hurt, smacks 40, 50 home runs, I'll I'll write him a big check. Right. Of course, we all yeah. will. Yeah. But this is where Wells comes into play, because we also have to think about Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt's already twenty nine and is going to be in his early thirties by the time. Uh, <clears throat> by the time he hits his own free agency. And he's not that good of a defensive first baseman. Of course, yeah. So, and then you have... So do you not, in that case, do you not see um, potentially Mike Ford taking his place at first? I feel that Mike Ford could take his place at first. I'm not necessarily sure he's the long-term answer, if only because... My concern is Giancarlo Stanton, the rumors will be true. He'll opt in for the rest of his contract. Mm-hmm. And then you have a $30 million a year player taking up the DH spot. And then you have Ford, who is a good money ball player, but who can't quite play the same type of defense. No, no, that's fair. I actually, like me personally, I'm actually not a big Mike Ford fan. Um, I don't. I wouldn't really entirely feel comfortable with him being our long-term first base option, but I just wanted to pick your brain about that to see. Mike Ford is a, I'm sure is a perfectly nice guy. I love his story about how he's a Jersey boy, went to Princeton, is now playing for the Yankees. He's living the dream. Right. But just in terms of his overall skill set, I mean, this is why it's so important that I think the National League gets to DH because once the National League gets to DH, Mike Ford has a job there. Right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but, as, but as for Austin Wells, everyone's saying uh, Kyle Schwarber is the pro comparison. I'm not Even Bryce Harper, actually, which is even less of a reason to complain. But Yeah, I, well, the Bryce Harper comparison, that came uh, – that was from Damon Oppenheimer, yeah? The scouting director? I believe so. Yeah, Damon Oppenheimer said – I forget the exact quote, but it implied more – he invoked Bryce Harper, but it seemed more just in terms of uh, the competitive mentality – the overall attitude of just of just being committed to excellence on the field. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if that's if that's how uh, Austin Wells conducts himself in the clubhouse, he's going to fit right in. Of course, he's yeah. OBS type of player, so as long as he shows up, doesn't run his mouth, and just plays the game, right. I'm very excited to watch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I am con- I am concerned about the strikeouts, um, despite his eye popping yeah. on base numbers. Yeah. But then again, in this era of launch angle and exit velocity, strikeouts are going up across the board. So, of course, so inevitable. That's just something we're going to have to make peace with. Just just mm-hmm. how just how batting average is going the way of the dodo in favor of Woba or weighted on base average. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just something that. All right, we're accepting this as the new normal, but we're going to complain the whole time. Yes. So that's true. Um, and you and I, I feel we're kind of also on the same page with Trevor Hover. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, now, I just want to say first off, I don't know that much about prep in college baseball, but I know that Arizona and Arizona State are factories for hitters. So actually, yeah, for um, Reggie Jackson. Yes, yes, yes. Trevor Hover 
he's he's weird. So, like you said, Arizona State boy. Um, his situation is a little confusing. So, in high school, he played multiple infield positions, mm-hmm. but he wasn't good. He's not a good defensive player. When he went to college, like what we were talking about, ASU, great baseball school, ASU actually has one of the very best infields in the country. And Hover is not good, defensively speaking. So he was moved to the outfield, mainly left field. That's where he played throughout his college career. Um, Speaking of, of, why isn't, if if someone is a bad defensive infielder, why is the default situation be, ah, stick him in left field, he'll be fine there. I swear. He can do the least, it's like, oh no, he can do the least amount of damage in left field. Meanwhile, I played high school ball. I went to college at a place, Skidmore College, that had a pretty good baseball team. Every outfielder said, I hate playing left field. I hate left field. Just weird because they always say that left field is like the easier position to play. I think that's why, or at least outfield position to play. I think that's why they do that. I don't know. Not that he was a standout defensive left fielder. I don't think he was very good, but I don't know. It's strange. Um, But the Yankees, like what we were saying before, this is a little weird. The Yankees said they ideally want to play him at second base. And if that doesn't work out, they want to move him to third base, which is a little strange. But um, Yeah, they they drafted him as a second baseman, even though he played mostly shortstop and third in uh, Arizona State. Um, No, in in high school, not. In Arizona State, he played left field, yeah. Okay, yes, yes, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, yeah. Everything that we have both read on the guy, the signs point to Daniel Murphy. Yes, exactly. Fine Definitely player. the bat is his biggest, uh, biggest strength. Uh, sure. Now, now uh, Hover's not a lefty bat, though, right? Is no, it? he's not. No. Okay. So I think that this is someone who, if the Yankees draft him as an infielder, and his offense, and unless his offense is out of the park good mm. they're gonna i don't know what they're gonna make of him honestly like he's, I, he's definitely this is a weird one um th- th- he, this is this is very much an upside pick yes he he does speaking of which he does and multiple people have said this he has the potential to be a very solid leadoff hitter and the good thing about him is he's capable of hitting for average as well as power so that's good but i don't know i just the whole defensive placement thing i don't know how that's gonna work out with this guy wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting rid of him i don't know it's strange, but you know, if I'm not gonna, if he ends up being Daniel Murphy, like I'm not really complaining about that. I don't know about you, but I don't yeah, know. exactly. Um, and then the last Yankees pick, Beck Way. Um, <laughs> we have conflicting opinions on Beck Way. First off, another great baseball name, Beck Way. Yeah, that's great, right? <laughs> how funny! How funny would it be if he actually lived on Beck Way too, right? <laughs> Beck Way on Beck Way. Yeah. Um, so, Lean, why don't you give us the uh, the bullet points? Yeah, you have the controversial take, so I'll go first, and you can yeah. give everyone your terrible opinion. So, um, Beckway was uh, he Rolling was the my Yan- eyes at you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was the Yankees' last pick of the draft out of Northwest Florida State College. Also, did not know that existed. Don't even um, want to know what life is like around there. Facts. Uh, Always a rebellious child, Florida. 
Yes. Uh, Beckway is a big boy. He is 6'4 and weighs 200 pounds. That is the main reason why people think he has a lot of upside because of his huge size. He's actually even projected to have starter stuff. Um, his most dominant pitch is his fastball, but he also has a plus slider. Doesn't use his changeup much, but that pitch has a lot of potential as well. He just needs to work on it and develop it. No pitch in his arsenal is projected to be below average, even at the major league level. I have seen multiple people call this pick, not as much as, for example, JT Ginn, but a steal nonetheless. And I do kind of agree. I like everything that I've read about Beckway. I think he can be really good. The issue with him is that he is committed to LSU's elite baseball program. So the Yankees are going to have to convince him to forego that. Like I said, I love this pick. Josh disagrees. Uh, well, no, it, hold, Josh. no, hold on, hold on. Let, let's get on the same page. I never said I don't like the pick. Mm. Um, I think that if he had played anywhere except junior college, um, if he had played anywhere except junior college, I'd say, yeah, let's sign him because he's 6'4", right. 200. He's from North Carolina, country strong. Um, but it's like you said, he's got a plus fastball, decent slider, and he's still working on his changeup. Yeah. I think that it's vitally important for him to go to LSU. And this is going to be an unpopular opinion. Mm -hmm. The reason being, the Yankees have plenty of pitching depth in the minors. They have yeah. Clark Schmidt, Debbie Garcia, Mike King. A little further down the totem pole, we've got uh, Luis Medina and Luis Heel. Yeah. I think that Way, we don't really – he's kind of like um, Orzi, where we don't really know what he's going to be in the pros yet. Mm -hmm. now, now, granted, if he was a position player, I'd say sign him. Because as long as the bat is there, we could, they could try him out at whatever position they, right. feel, they feel is good for him, and, and then the rest will take care of itself. It's trickier with pitchers because, you're, because you don't want to get them injured mm -hmm. is the main thing. That said, even though he would be getting professional-level coaching in the minor leagues, I think it's better for him to go to LSU – to go play some college ball at a program where everyone from Jarrett Wright to, I think Aaron Nola came out of there too. Uh, better for him to go to college ball, pitch against tougher competition, not the best competition, because otherwise you throw him right to the wolves. He, it might get in his head. He's going to start overcompensating. He doesn't nearly have, have a changeup that's ready for that yet. I'd rather he go to college, further develop that changeup against hitters who are trying to achieve the same goal he is, and then maybe he can get redrafted at an even higher position, maybe even make some more money for himself. That's fair. I just – and I won't – look, I won't be devastated if he does elect to, you know, honor his commitment to LSU, but I just – I just really like what I'm seeing. Not a lot of criticism with this guy. And you're right. He hasn't faced great competition yet. So it is hard to give a proper judgment about him. But I don't and know. I, I, I like this pick. And I'll, I like this I'll be the kid. first to say. I'll be the first to say. In this new power hitting era, you can never have too much pitching. Pitching. Mm -hmm. Pitching. I can't yeah. <laughs> you can never have too much pitching. Yeah. Across the majors, minors, international leagues. The more arms, the better. Mm -hmm. But there's still so much we don't know about this guy. His sample size as not just a starter, but looking good as a starter. And I'm talking when he had the sub-1 ERA mm -hmm. in the uh, Cape Cod League. 
there is still so much we don't know about this guy going up against, uh, going up against tougher competition mm -hmm. as opposed to just these semi-pro amateur leagues. Not, 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 to, not to dump on the Cape Cod League because it gives lots of guys opportunities. It helps people right. reach the pros. They do great work. But in the case of Beck Way, I think that it's better for him to go to college. And it's like I said, even if, it's like I said earlier, even if uh, he does wash out of the Yankee system, they will send him to college. Yeah, that's true. So, that's fair. And it's definitely what, what happens with him is going to be very interesting to yeah. follow, see whether he signs or does end up going to LSU. Yeah. If, if, I, if I'm him, if I'm his parents, I'm saying, I'm saying dude, go to LSU. Mm. Go to LSU. I, I know Probably, the, I, yeah. I know the idea of of playing for the Yankees is a fun one because if 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 I was in high school and the and the Yankees were were ready to sign me right out of there uh, for a signing bonus and then all of a sudden I go to the minors and then I get hurt. Yeah. Now that that's the absolute worst case scenario, and you shouldn't and you shouldn't make major life decisions based on on solely the absolute worst case scenario. I just personally think that if Beckway wants to get the most out of a major league baseball career, he should, it's like, it's like game of Thrones to go, to go forward. You have to go back. Mm -hmm. He needs to go to LSU, spend a year there, get his change up, right. Hopefully stay healthy and then re-enter the draft. Let me run this thought by you. I was uh, talking to some friends about, uh, about the draft and um, I mentioned Beckway, how I really liked that pick. And I was like, oh, I hope he ends up signing with the Yankees. And one of the people I was talking to said, I feel like baseball, like players who are drafted are more than likely going to sign because colleges are going to be like jam packed with players next year and they're going to have less opportunity to get playing time. So they may be better off just signing and getting the money, whatever it may be. I so, mean, that, I, don't know. I mean, I that, that was an that's going point. that's going to depend on each individual player, but that's a very yeah. that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, I can't speak to Beckway's own situation. Of course, yeah. But, but like, I'm I'm just saying, if I were in his shoes, I'd go to LSU. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, wait, wait. Oh God, we actually need to talk about this right now. That's coming up next. Like this, this new Yankees drama that came oh out this morning. God. Yeah. Do we, do we really have, have to talk about this, Lane? Tell me. Yeah, okay, fine. No. Fine. Rip the bandit off. Yeah, we'll talk about this. I, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this, but yeah, turn, yeah, turn it on. Let's do it super quick. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. So, so basically, in a, in a lawsuit, either, what was it? it? Was it against the Yankees or MLB? Okay, listen, I, I have this all written down. Very, oh, okay. very, very brief summary because we are not going to entertain this. Yeah. Um, okay. DraftKings filed a lawsuit against MLB, the Houston Astros, <laughs> and the Boston Red Sox for defrauding them because of the whole sign-stealing whatever. The suit was dismissed in April, but the case was appealed, and all of a sudden, the Yankees have found themselves in the middle of it. Um, the Yankees and the Red Sox were both investigated about three years ago. The only thing the Yankees were found guilty of doing was improper use of the dugout phone, ahem, ahem, Larry Rothschild, to question a pitch. Uh, they were like questioning if it was, I don't know, a strike or something. They were fined an undisclosed amount DraftKings. Yeah, yeah, we know are, all this. Right. Yeah. DraftKings are saying the 2017 press release when this happened 
falsely stated that that was all that happened when in reality there was this more in-depth whole like sign stealing scheme going on that's basically what they're saying um rob manfred had written a letter to the yankees about the findings of the investigation and now there's a ruling that the letter needs to be unsealed the yankees we all know this like josh you know this too the Yankees yeah. were using, they were watching replay monitors. Mark Teixeira actually today yeah. just came out and blatantly said, we're using, we were using replay monitors. At the time, that was not against the rules. It didn't become right. illegal it, until after 2017. And that's why the Red Sox and the Astros got in trouble. The Yankees did nothing wrong. Um, all right. Can, can, I, can I say something at the, risk of, at the risk of sounding like an absolute jerk? Yes. Like, Go for it. All right, hold on. I'm going to take my headphones off because I'm going to be moving my head around a lot for this one. I got to take it off. All right. So first things first for the Red Sox and the Astros, why are we still having this conversation? Yeah. The investigations into both respective teams are over. Rob Manfred spoke. Find people accordingly. People were fired accordingly. It's a non-story. This is a blatant attempt to smear the Yankees organization because two teams who just happened to beat them in the playoffs recently are butthurt that they got caught. Plain and simple. You got caught, guys. Stop making this about the Yankees. Take your damn medicine. You know what you sound like right now? Here, I'm going to play what you sound like right now. This is what you are right now. Yeah. This is baseball, not a circus. Get back in the clown car, go to spring training, wash your hands, get tested, and move on from this. Matt, as if baseball wasn't already enough of a circus as is right now, then this whole... Pardon my French, we've got other crap to worry about besides this lane. No, it's a story. I just, what cracked me up, like genuinely cracked me up, is that the Yankees appeared out of nowhere. There was no mention of the Yankees at all in the initial suit. And then all of a sudden, DraftKings decides that the Yankees were cheating and we need to throw them all in here. This is absurd. I don't even, you're right, we shouldn't have even given it attention, but I don't know. I guess something to laugh about. Everyone just wants to hate on the Yankees. Maybe so. And like, and like the judge basically said, if the, he, he read the letter and said, look, release the letter, because he's probably saying, there's nothing in here. Make the mm-hmm. letter public. What are you trying to hide? Right. And, and I get the Yankees. They're, they've got a brand for, to protect. They've got their fingers in a lot of other pies that aren't just baseball. But guys, come on. This is such a non-story. Yeah. And yet, yeah, it's going to look minorly bad in terms of the optics, because yeah, you were using replay monitors. Mark Teixeira came out and said it. Right. He's got no reason to lie. Of course. And again, they did nothing wrong. It was okay at the time. They did nothing wrong. The Red Sox did something wrong. Houston did something wrong. That's why they got in trouble. The Yankees did not. Okay, screw the bullpen phone. Who cares? And regardless of that, whatever the Yankees did, it wasn't anywhere close to like just clouding of the rules that Houston did. Of course. Plain and simple. Okay, I don't want to give this any more oxygen. Let's move on. I swear. Okay, just very, very briefly, we thought we'd like, you know, tell listeners this. NHL training camps are back. European players are starting to return in terms of the Rangers. So far, we've seen Adam Fox, Brendan Smith, Mark Stahl take the ice. And Artemi Panarin is back from Europe. And his, uh, his uh, tests he, have come back clean. In, he still lives in Russia, right? 
What do you mean lives in Russia? He's a house here, obviously. Well, well, well no, but he, but he was in, uh, he was in Europe, you said. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I believe so, at least. Yeah, he came back, got tested, everything came back clean, and he practiced today, so. Yeah, yeah I, I'd imagine that with hockey, a lot of the international players coming back, it's going to be largely judgment calls, at least early on. For sure, yeah. Because yeah, Capo Caco, even, even though the Rangers are, are going to be playing again once the season resumes, I'm more than happy to let Kako sit the rest out, rest of the season out. He's diabetic. He's still learning the NHL. He's still like 18, 19 years old. I'd rather hit he stay home and just be as healthy as possible. I, def- I definitely wouldn't mind if that happened, but like there, there have been you know ongoing reports about this. They're saying that Kako should definitely like be fine, be good to go. A lot of doctors have said that uh, he should be okay. Diabetes shouldn't affect anything. So I, I am expecting him to play. But like you said, his health is the most important thing. If, well, yeah, and, and yeah. I'm, saying, I'm saying this largely because I mean, God, we were having this conversation the other day. I'm a Pisces. I'm worried about other people. Um, <laughs> and I said this about my friend who goes to a lot of Black Lives Matter protests, which he obviously should. He's a black man living in New York. He has every right to go to those mm-hmm. protests. I don't, I don't fault him for that. But there is that underlying con- uh, concern that I have because he does technically have asthma. He is technically yeah. compromised. So even though I fully support him in doing what he does, there is always going to be that little pang of worry in the back of my mind. Of course. No, uh, that's and, totally and, fair. And, and Capococco is no exception. Either way, I'm thrilled that hockey's on its way back. I'm thrilled that the Rangers oh, yeah. were on a little bit of a hot streak before the season shut down. I'm thrilled they'll be able to at least go to the play-in round. Um, I'm excited. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Like, I, I'm so excited when I think about it. You know, let's go Rangers. It's going to be great. Exactly. I'm expecting the Islanders to win their matchup, too, against the Florida Panthers, even though they may not be the favorites. But... The, the Rangers would have uh, Carolina, right? Yeah, we're going to be playing Carolina. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, they'll, they'll win that one in a walk. Oh, we uh, own them. But let's right. not get cocky. Anyway, last, last thing, last NBA. Bit, yeah, we're, yeah, we're running short on time, folks. But anyway, so, and, so uh, Kyrie Irving has been in the news. <laughs> Uh, what's going on? Kyrie Irving is basically the ringleader of a group of players who are saying that it basically it's inappropriate for the season to resume with everything that's going on with all the protests and all of that. There are, however, a lot of players who disagree with that. They're like, we're this is our chance to get money and us getting paid and then making an impact and making contributions to the community and to these causes. That's our way of making a change. What's the point of sitting out? This is, for, in my opinion, difficult to take a stand on because Kyrie makes a fair point and those who agree with him that, you know, there's social unrest, there's injustice going on, and they're, you know, worrying about playing a sport when they should be more focused on helping to make a change and make things better for fellow black people. But at the same time, it's hard to tell players, you don't play, don't make money, don't do this. You know, it's- um, this, is, this is interesting for two reasons. One, Kyrie Irving is very active within the union. And, and, from what, mm-hmm. and I believe it was uh, Woj who tweeted this out. He voted in favor of the restart plan. Yes, yes. Um, but, and- and he's all, Kyrie's also kind of an oddball in general, but that's not really part of the equation here. Right. Um, what he and this small band of players are saying, it's inappropriate to be playing uh, basketball with all the protests going on. It reminds me very much of the 2012-13 NBA season, start, which kicked off in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. 
Mm. Now, you, now, you might recall the Knicks were supposed to open their season against the Nets in the new Barclays Center that, that year. And that game was canceled because of the hurricane. The Knicks instead opened their season at home against the Miami Heat. Mm. Wayne Wade was not happy about it. Yeah. Wayne Wade said, no, like, this, is, this is inappropriate. Because I right. think at the, at the time in New York City, you couldn't go south of 34th Street. Right. Or, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, south of 14th Street. It was, yeah. Uh, my sister, who was living in the financial district at the time, moved back in with our parents and her cat uh, for six weeks. Mm. But, what, but what Dwayne Wade did, since obviously he couldn't just not play, he donated his game check. Mm. Now, in terms of how much players are going to be paid upon their return, that's something that can be done. Because the NBA is really ahead of the curve of the NFL, of MLB, in mm -hmm. pretty much letting the players run the show. It's like, no, no, no. Like we, it's Adam Silver. I, I love the guy. He makes a point of understanding. He says this with Donald, with Donald Sterling uh, without actually saying it. The league does not run without the players. Let's give them as much of a voice as possible so that right. not only they're happy, but we can put out the best product possible. Because it, go, it goes to the war of warp element. Like, yeah, the, these measure how many wins a player is worth, but they don't measure the human element. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm a player and I'm ecstatic with my contract, if I'm happy with where I'm playing, if I'm happy with my teammates, I'm going to have some extra bounce in my step when I'm on the court or on mm -hmm. the field. And so I think that by listening to these concerns of Kyrie Irving, of people who agree with him, Commissioner Silver can find a way for the NBA to not only come back after a long layoff, but to, um, but to also find a way to support Black Lives Matter, to uh, be the league that isn't afraid to make the grand statements. For sure, yeah. Sense. Yeah, I just I just feel bad making like giving an opinion either way. And I'm just like, at least trying to, you know, vow to myself that I'll respect the decision, whatever it may be, whatever the players decide to choose, you know, I am excited. I'm a Nets fan. We're in unlike you guys, we actually get to see, you know, the Nets play. Um, so I do have a stake in all of this. But, you know, yeah. at the same time, uh, it's hard to argue that it's inappropriate. But I don't I know. I'm a Knicks fan, and I and I'm actually excited because first off, uh, you probably remember how I wrote at the end of January, the Knicks weren't going anywhere. Root full force for the Lakers because they should win it for Kobe. Mm. I, I am going to be a full throated Lakers fan when the season comes back, and people can make fun of yeah, me. Yeah, my brother's a Knicks fan, so the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But the Knicks, they're actually in a really good position right now because the draft lottery isn't until August. Mm. The draft itself isn't until October. And so now they can focus on, on like moving one step at a time. Okay, who's our next coach going to be? We know mm -hmm. Scott Perry's staying with Leon Rhodes' GM. Who's going to be our coach? Um, okay, now that we know who our coach is, who should we target in the draft? Do we right. even want to bother in free agency? What trades should we make, if any at all? So the Knicks have, A, a blueprint to follow, and B, all the time in the world to get done what they need to get done. Yep. They are in an excellent position for, for considering how their offseason ended early. And, and that's – I know that we say that every year with the Knicks, but this, this time with no Steve Mills, and if you go back to the Donnie Walsh era, having, not having Steve Mills in the building is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think that the Knicks, they have a great opportunity uh, in front of them. Let's see how they use it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Definitely going to be an interesting team to follow. Let's see if you guys can get it right this time around. Uh, we'll see.
we'll see. It's been 20 years of suffering. Oh. I, I, was, I was looking this up. You know that the Knicks, that, that their next coach is going to be their 14th since the year 2000? Oof. And, that, Oof. And, and that includes two interim stints by Herb Williams. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, and I know that I know that Tom Thibodeau is the favorite. I really want Kenny Atkinson. Oh, don't don't remind me of Kenny, bro. Don't I? Uh, God, I hate the Nets. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope you. I, I hope you don't get Kenny, but yeah. Why it's gonna be too hard to watch and succeed with the Knicks? <laughs> succeed. <laughs> Good one. Hey, 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 hey! I didn't. I didn't tell you guys to sign Kyrie's goofy ass. Okay. Fair. Anyway. <laughs> All right, well, that was a – all right, that's all the time we have for today on Yankees Mets Express. Uh, you can find us uh, on ESNY and Spotify. Uh, this has been a uh, product of Elite Sports NY, the voice, the pulse of New York City sports. Uh, Lean, did we miss anything today? I think we got it all. All right, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, JoshBESNY for all my crazy opinions, my articles, and some various takes on life. Uh, Lean, where can they find you? Lean, L-E-E-N, underscore, Amin, A-M-I-N. And that's on Twitter. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have Instagram, too, but I don't even, I barely post. I don't have Instagram. That's why I, you know, didn't think to mention Twitter. Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks for listening, folks. This has been Yankees Mets Express. And most important of all, stay clear at the closing door.